Hello, City Life. So we have been, several of us, at a conference all week. So thanks for letting us get away and just get refreshed and coming back. You learn about people when you travel with them. It's always also dangerous to travel with the pastor, right? Because then you become a sermon illustration for, for, so for example, right? For example, Ryan Nicholson, who oversees all of tech, does not like chocolate. I know, can you not? And it's not just that he doesn't like, it's like a Leviticus thing. If something touches chocolate, right? So then I became the guy the whole week. I'm like, I'm going to figure out the one thing with chocolate. He, so I thought milk duds, that would be my ace in the hole. Nope. So if you can think of something that has chocolate that you're sure he would like, I'm sure he would appreciate you asking. And I already know the answer. Pastor David Godwin did not know who James Taylor is. Like, how do you not know James Taylor? But then I realized that should be the qualification for every student ministries pastor. Because if, if you know James Taylor, you should be working with the young people, right? <laughs> Jen Muro, on the other hand, does not like James Taylor. And there's just no excuse for that. And no excuse. And then it turns out that Cam, her husband, has a future as a bodyguard. So we're, you know, we're front row people at City Life. So at the conference, we're on the front row. So at the, uh, at the end of one of the sessions, when the main speaker was done, somebody came over to Cam and said, are you his bodyguard? <laughs> it's like, why didn't they ask me that question? <laughs> I can figure out, figure out why. So, hey, why am I telling you this? This is why I'm telling you this. You're never going to truly know yourself until you walk with God. You're never, there are things about your heart that you don't even know are in there until you walk with God. And as you begin to walk with God, he begins to show you the person that he created you to be so that he can begin to direct you into the purposes that he has for you. I'm sharing those things with you too because our guest speaker tonight, Pastor Brandon Shank, a dear friend of mine from Lifehouse down in Virginia Beach, his heart is sold out to reach people who need to begin their journey with walking with God. His heart is sold out. Their church is committed to it or to reach people in this region, especially across the water uh, there in, in, in Virginia Beach who need to know their heavenly father. We've known each other probably, what, for 15 years or so. He was an intern at a church where I used to pastor years ago. And so when I found out several years ago that he was going to be coming to this area to plant a church, and now the network that he's a part of has helped to plant John Ware, if you know John, uh, Lifehouse here in Newport News over at Regal Cinema. And so we appreciate Lifehouse. We appreciate the, the, that network. We appreciate their ministry. And so give Pastor Brandon a warm City Life welcome as he comes. You know, I believe in giving honor where honor is due. And, uh, you know, Pastor Fred, you guys know this, but I think he's probably the most consistent human being I've ever met. You know, it's, it's, it's uh, knowing him for years, but he just, he's never wavering. He's just the same guy uh, throughout every circumstance that I've watched, uh, whether it was on Facebook or uh, uh, knowing you face-to-face and watching you walk. When, actually, when we first launched the church, I kept getting strep throat, man. I, I think it's my kids. They say kids are like walking germs. They really are. So when I started having kids, I started falling apart. Uh, and so I had strep throat. They, they tell you when you plant a church, you're not supposed to have guest speakers in for like the first year. You know, you need to be on that stage every week. I remember in October, I planted in September 14th, 2014, October, Pastor Steve was called in to preach because I was laid up with strep throat. I think it was a month or two later, Pastor Fred was coming in. I had to, I mean, y'all planted the church, so thank you. If it wasn't for y'all, the church would not exist uh, today. But I, I just, Pastor Fred and Vanessa, you guys, I believe in honor. And, uh, you know, you will never know 
the tears that they've cried, the fasting that they've done, and the, the way they've carried you in your situations. I know as a, a, a lead pastor of a church, what um, I guess the things that you can't really explain because they're really not for anybody else to have to understand. It's part of the calling. Uh, but can you guys just thank them? Can you thank them for leading you guys so well and being what they are? And I know that, uh, yeah, go ahead and tell them. Tell them it's good. And that is just a small, Pastor Fred will have a crown that he's going to need us to help carry in heaven. So I, I just uh, appreciate him very much. And Pastor Fred, when I moved to Virginia Beach, I, I didn't know anybody. We're what you call a parachute launch. And basically what that means, they launch you out of an airplane and you don't know anybody or anything. You're landing hoping to get some kind of momentum. And uh, I knew nobody in Virginia Beach. I know it's very bad grammar, but that's all I could think of. I, I did not know anyone. And uh, Pastor Fred calls me. He's like, hey, man, let's go down to the beach and eat. It's like... Well, my schedule's pretty clear, so let's do, let's do it, you know, and he came down and spent some time with me, and so I just appreciate uh, the heart of this church, and it's funny uh, how uh, Pastor Fred is a, 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 he's a consistent guy, and you know, in his spirit, it's exactly what I saw on stage during worship. <laughs> I would never see that out of him, but on, in his spirit, I feel like that's him, <laughs> you know, and so it's just, a, it's a cool picture of, uh, of your pastor and his family, and uh, appreciate this church very, very much. Well, uh, they say that if you show a picture of your family, people are, it's a statistic. I don't know exactly what it is, but something like 10 times more likely to hear what you're saying. And so I want to start out and I want to show you a picture of my family. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> so on the, the far left is Caden. He's actually with me tonight. He was telling me the whole time during worship. I'm sure he loved it, but he wanted to go to kids' church. He was ready. So there's Caden. He's seven. The middle guy here is Ryland. He's five. He just graduated preschool. Big week in the Shank House. We went to Chuck E. Cheese this morning. Yeah, that praise Jesus. But on the far right is Makai. He's rocking an Oakland A's hat, represent the athletics. And then back there, I'm holding a little, we call him Chunky Love. His name is Asher, and he has just turned a year old. And to the right is my beautiful wife, Casey, uh, who I've been with for 20 years uh, and married to for 13, my high school sweetheart. Uh, and she is locked in, uh, in my source of strength. And uh, I don't love kids. I love my wife. And so we have a, a great time. We actually, had, we actually only had two kids when we launched, and now we got four. It just shows you a little bit of the stress in the three and a half years of church planning. But we are finished. The Lord said it is finished, and, he, and I said it is finished. And uh, we love our kids, and, um, and uh, Jesus loves you today. <laughs> the, I, I want to take a minute, and I'll talk to you about something that I feel is probably... Almost one of the elephant in the room things with, with living for Jesus. I know for all of us, we walk through stuff, right? Everybody's got something. There's nobody in this room right now. There's nobody here this evening that you, you don't have something. Is there a place that I can't walk for camera or anything like that? Okay. There, there's, there's everybody in here, you've, you've got something. It, it may not be a, a monster, for some of you, it may be that thing that your family or a relationship or a financial thing that's maybe just kind of been there for 10 years. Maybe for some of you, it's something new that you found out this week. It could be a decision. But one of the things that I, I push all the time to, to Lifehouse Virginia Beach, and I, and I tell them all the time, is that there are physical things that you are responsible to do so that the spiritual can actually work in your life. You know, and one of those things I tell them all the time, when I say come to the altar, I say, listen, there's not a physical altar that has an authority or a power. What you're doing is you're stepping out, and the minute you stand up, you're actually putting something physical behind what, what you're asking God to do spiritually. Does this make sense? And so I really feel like the Lord has been speaking to me specifically for this church in that he's given a lot of you a promised land, but you've got to actually be the ones to step into it. 
You know, like that thing you've been praying for, it's actually there. It's actually been provided, and God's already laid that out in front of you. But now it's your responsibility to walk into that promise. It's your responsibility to actually go and get that thing that he's already provided for you. Instead of, Lord, I I cry out, and God, I pray, and I'm on my knees, and I'm, I'm begging you to help me, God. Oh, dear Jesus, do something in me that only you can do. I get it. But I think sometimes we're crying in vain when God's saying, I've already provided what you've asked for. You've got to actually be the one to do it. I'm not going to pick your legs up and put one foot in front of the other. That's the element that's going to require you to do something. Does this make sense? It's so easy for us to get locked down as Christians and fall into this mesh and this Tetris game of how we should live for Christ and feel like, well, now I've positioned myself. You have got nothing to do with positioning yourself. The only thing you need to do is allow God to position you, and then you actually do the hard part of walking whenever he's already provided a promise. Does it make sense? I know all the time we always say, well, God didn't provide, or this didn't take place, or this didn't happen the way that I had hoped. Well, some of the reason is because we like to throw fits and we don't get what we want. We're humans. It's not because we're immature Christians. It's because we're human beings that are selfish in nature, and you have to beat that up every day. But the other part isn't that you didn't get what you wanted, but that you weren't complete because you wanted God to finish what he had started whenever it was your job to finish it because he'd asked you to walk. Right, this reminds me of the Israelites. I don't know how many of you may be familiar with this story, but in the Old Testament, God spoke to a man named Moses, and he said, listen, I want you to go get a group of people, and I want you to take them somewhere. I want you to take them out of Egypt, where they've been for 430 years. They're slaves. And I want you to take them from the place of slavery to the place of promise. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. They won't have people beating them. They won't have people making them uh, have, have these bogus efforts. They, these are people that I, I want to push to a promised land. And I'm going to show how good I am through these people. And I love everybody so much that I'm actually going to use these people to reach more people. That was the whole point of it. And so they were only marching for two years. These people were marching. They came out of Egypt. And they get to the promised land. Two years in, they're already at the promised land. They're there. They're ready to take the land. God had already laid it out before them. And Moses, when he writes back to the Israelites, he writes a historical account to give them a little bit of an idea of what this looked like. In Deuteronomy, he's writing the historical account as a way to remind them of how God had been faithful to them. And so he writes this back, and as you you read in Deuteronomy, this is actually Moses who led them to this place, reminding them of the circumstance that they endured. And this is what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 19. It said, Then just as the Lord God commanded us, we left Mount Sinai and traveled through the great and terrifying wilderness, as you yourselves remember, and we headed towards the hill country of the Amorites. And when we arrived at Kadesh Barnea, I said to you, You've now reached the hill country of the Amorites that the Lord our God has given us. Look, he has placed the land in front of you. Now I want to stop there for a quick second. Think about this. What did Moses just tell the people that God had spoken to him? We have placed, this thing God has already placed in front of us. We don't have to work for it. We don't have to walk any further. You waste a lot of time in your life praying for things that God's already answered. We waste a lot of time praying for things that God's already told us what to do, but we don't like the answer. It's not a, uh, it's not like a game where you go and shake it back up and get a different answer. That's not the way God works, right? And so he's like, wait, there's a land that I've placed in front of you. And then he says, go and occupy it as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has promised you. Don't be afraid and don't be discouraged. Then verse 22, so he's telling the story. He says, but y'all came to me and said, first, let's, let's send out the scouts to explore the land for us. They'll advise us on the best route to take and which towns we should enter. In verse 23, this seemed like a good idea to me. 
So I chose 12 scouts, one from each of your tribes, and then we headed for the hill country, and we came to the valley of Eskel and, and explored it. And they picked some of its fruit and brought it back to us, and they reported that the land our God has given to us is indeed a good land. You think this irritates God at all? He's saying, listen, the, the promise that I told you you would get when you were in Egypt and you were slaves, I placed it in front of you. The land is in front of you. You are at the promised land. You're at the threshold of what I've got for you. But you get this idea. Wait, 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 wait. Before we go take the land, we should scout it. Because we're not completely secure in giving God full control. So we got to know what's going on before we go fully in. And what Moses says is it sounded like a good idea. This sounded like a, a good approach. And he's saying, this is not what I've asked you to do. I've placed the land before you, and I'm asking you to walk through it, and yet you're stopping in the calling that I have for your life because it seems like a good idea to go and double-check what I've already taken care of. Does it make sense? If I'm God, I'm lighting everybody on fire. You know what I'm saying? I, that is why I have not been given any permission by God to do anything significant in my life apart from what I am doing because I would light somebody up. I have an attitude problem, an anger problem, and, and a very deep hatred for disobedience because I have four children. You know what I'm saying? Like, you feel this. The other day I was, and I, I, this isn't something I do often, but I hate running. But I work out of my house, and it was 6 o'clock in the morning. And my children, Caden, Ryland, and Makai, my three, five, and seven-year-olds, they figured out when I work out in the mornings. And so I used to get up really early to work out in front of my family. Well, now them little suckers are waiting at the garage door for me. Six in the morning, they're geared up. They got their shoes on. They got their gear on. Hey, Dad, we're ready to work out. Get back in bed. Boy, what is wrong with you? Oh, we're just going to go sit in the garage while you work out. And you know how that works. The next thing you know, they've started a vehicle. They've lit something on fire. They've got propane tanks walking out through the yard. You know, it doesn't work like that. So just sit here while I, while I get this stuff done. And so I said, I got to go for a run. And it's, it was only like a mile. I don't run much. I hate, I hate running distance. And so like a mile seems like a marathon. And so I'm like, I'm going to run for a mile, Kate. And my oldest, I said, you're not going to make it. So just run like to the stop sign and back, but don't run the whole way. And we live in the ocean front and there's a bike path that runs from our house to the beach. And so that's the, that's where I run. But the, the, the bike path is about a quarter mile. You had to run through a little neighborhood to get to it. I knew my kids shouldn't be out there by themselves, so I said, just stay here. Man, I, get t I take off. I'm down the bike path, and I see this little head poke out, <laughs> looking down the path. It's 6 in the morning. My 7-year-old took it upon himself to cut through some, some developments in some side street to get to the bike path to wait for me. Why? Like, what's wrong with kids, man? Like, why can't they just listen? So I go back in. I'm running. I'm like, you got to keep up. And he's keeping up. And I can tell he's huffing and puffing. And I run back. And he's coming with me. And I turn around to run back to the house. And I get back to the little entrance where he, he came out originally. And he's bent over. And he's, Dad, you're going to have to go on without me. <laughs> so I start running. And he's not scared. He could care less. Caden, if you know him, he, he does not care about anything. He's thinking, bring it on, you know. So I'm running. And I'm running. All right, so I turn around, and I go get him. I'm jogging in place, like, come on, man. He's like, thanks for coming back for me. I say, hey, man, no man left behind. It's how we do things in the Shank family. So we're running, we run home, we get there, and later that morning, he comes up to me real, real sincere. He said, hey, Dad, thanks for coming back for me today. He said, that's good parenting. <laughs> so, Thank you, son. Appreciate that. When you think about God and you think about the way he thinks towards us, 
You know what's helped me? My kids. Because even if I put something in front of them and he decided not to use it, it wouldn't stop me from putting more in front of them. But there's this concept that I want you to understand. And if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Obedience is without hesitation. You know, delayed obedience is disobedience. There's no such thing as delayed obedience. Because if you tell, if you tell your child, don't run in front of the car, and they run in front of it, and then they stop because now they want to obey, it doesn't make a difference. And when God warns us of things, or he, he gives us some kind of prelude to say, hey, man, don't do this. Delayed obedience, that, that hesitation is disobedience. And I think sometimes in our life when we're asking God for something specific and we ask him to help us or to heal us or to take us to a different place or to fix a family situation, we ask him for these things and he does it, but yet there's just steps that we need to take to make sure that we can accomplish his goal. So these 12 spies come back. And they come back and give the report and it's recorded in Numbers chapter 13, verse 27. It said, this was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and it's indeed a bountiful country. You wouldn't say. A land flowing with milk and honey, and here's the kind of fruit it produces. But the people living there, they're powerful, and their towns are large and fortified. And we even saw giants, the descendants of Anak. The Amalekites live in the Negev, and the Hittites and Jebusites and Amorites in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and all along the Jordan Valley. So what they're doing is saying, listen, this place is amazing. It's everything God promised, but I don't think he included the, some of the trials that we're going to have to go through to get there. He might have left something out. Well, that's why God tells you to go and take something instead of go scout something. Because when he says take it, it's complete faith and it's obedience. When he says scout it, you come back with fear and anxiety that drives you to a decision that's not God. It says, but Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's, let's go at once and take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. Verse 31, but the other men who explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They're stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report out about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. And the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers, and that's what they thought too. You know what happens after this? The Bible tells us that the Israelites, those people that God said, take the land, it's yours, they now go back to their tents and they start to gossip. And they start to say, we would have been better off, we want to go back to Egypt and back to bondage. Because that's what happens when God has something for your life and you ask him for it, it's the unknown. It's things, that's, it's freedom from addictions. Ask an addict how scared they are about being free from an addiction. They want it, but it's a terrifying thing to live without an addiction. Ask somebody who has some type of uh, financial issue and they've lived with it their whole life, how, what's success going to feel like? That's a terrifying feeling for people who have never had success in their life. Ask somebody what it's going to be like when they finally, they've been praying for that girl of their dreams and God brings it to them. They're terrified because now I don't know if I can lead myself. Can I really lead this girl of my dreams. You see what I'm saying? And so the situation that we're in, there's this, there's this complex, and they're in their tents, and they're saying, well, man, we want to go back to Egypt. And so what happens whenever we go in front of God is we always choose bondage. We always choose to go back to where we came from because it's easier than actually having faith, but it's not. But that's what fear and anxiety and this disabling thought process does to us. It makes us feel like we're going to be driven back to something that God's never even called us to. And so now there, there's this inward, there's this infighting. There's this issue that's taking place within the people. I mean, think about this. Disobedience in this whole story started with their leader, Moses. Because Moses said it sounded like a good idea. No, no, God already gave you something. You've been praying for this. You've actually got to do something now. 
There's action required of us. Moses, there's action required. That means go take it. Don't let the fear override what God's calling you to do. And so what happens is the 12 spies that went into the land, 10 of them were struck dead with the plague. And there's two that remained, Caleb and Joshua, because they were the only two that said, we can do this. We believe in it. We believe that God's going to do something significant through our life. You say, well, what are you trying to get to, man? What is it that you're trying to help us understand this? Faith views obstacles as opportunities. When things come your way that look like they're impossible, that's good because now God's at work. Whenever you get that, that, that diagnosis, it seems like there's nothing that can ever change it. There's no, no person, no medicine. There's no ideal that can help fix the family arrangement that you're in. That means that God is in it. Whenever there seems like a situation that you've been praying for and you've asking God for and you cry in those tears and nothing's happening, good. Now you're in checkmate. You can hand it to God and let him start doing something with it. These obstacles, they don't look like obstacles. When you follow God in a, in a life of faith, they start to look like things that are very manageable and almost exciting because you're like, okay, I can't do anything, so I'm completely relying on God. In Deuteronomy chapter 1, when Moses was writing the Israelites in kind of the historical account, he tells them in verse 32, He's talking about God, and he says, even after all that he did, you refuse to trust him. You refuse to trust the Lord your God. He goes before you, looking for the best places to camp, guiding you with a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of, of cloud by day. You, you see the intimacy in this scripture? You know what he tells them? Yeah, there's this pillar of fire and this cloud by day. I mean, that's like the supernatural Holy Spirit, you're with us. But you know what I love that he says? He's looking for the best places for you guys to camp. I mean, are you kidding me? God is so detailed with these millions of people marching across the desert that he's trying to find them good camping spots so that grandma has a place to lay her head and she's comfy at night. I'm honest. This is, think about that. This is an intimate piece of scripture that he is seeing God's specific detailed plans laid out to prepare a place for his people. But yet when it came to take a land, they just said, man, you know, we're not, there, spiritual apathy is not an issue in the Christian church because God's not moving. It's an issue in the church because people aren't moving. There's no more, do you realize? Listen to me for a minute. There's not any more demons on the earth right now than there was 2,000 years ago. Demons don't multiply. Do you understand what I'm saying? And there's a lot more of us than there were of them. You feel me? And so we want to blame everything on all Satan's attacking me. I mean, listen. If we could spend more time glorifying Jesus and the victory that he had on that cross and less time glorifying our struggles in darkness, we would find ourselves taking more action and being a lot more uh, proactive and a lot less hesitant to go and take the land that God's already promised us. I mean, you understand what I'm saying this evening? This is a, a message that if you can grasp onto and chew on and realize that this isn't about having a knowledge of God. This isn't about understanding God. If you find yourself being apathetic and just going through the motions, and whether you're playing worship on the worship team or out there worshiping to what the worship team is playing, if you find yourself with a loss of zest in your life, it's because there's been a disconnect and you've lost the focus of why you're even in the game. It's because that promised land looks sexy, but you ain't willing to beat it up. You ain't willing to have to get beat up over it. You're not willing to have to walk a hard road. You're not willing to have to get strung out in a bad way with a lot of people in your life, to follow God the way that he's called you to follow him. You know, the Bible says where Jesus said, uh, no, 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 this message is going to divide mother-in-law and daughter-in-law, father and son. It's talking about, it's going to divide the people who are all in. You ever been around somebody who's really getting into shape, and you look at him, you're almost disgusted? Like, who do you think you are, man? You look good. And I'm ticked. 
I, I don't know who don't like chocolate, but bro, you got an issue. But I'm thinking, I'll hunt that stuff down, man. The other night, I found Easter candy. I don't know if it was from last year or the year before, but we had nothing in the house. I almost ate it with the wrapper on. I've got a problem with chocolate. I am an addict, and I am openly admitting it, and I am proud of it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I love chocolate. I'll eat it off of a shoe. I don't care. I have no idea where I was going. I'm thinking about chocolate, peanut butter eggs. No, my, my point is this. You've got to be in a place where you allow God to take your life and not in a place where you're letting him have you. Say, God, take me somewhere. Help me to walk into what you've got for my life. Help me to be that man or woman of God that you're calling me to be. You know what this proves, though? If you were being escorted by God with a cloud by day and a fire by night, you would think that would prove his ability and his miraculous, right? But no, you know what it proves? It f- proves that faith isn't produced by what is seen, it's produced by what you believe. It's not produced by miracles in your life that you say, God, if, then. It's not produced by things around you that you say, well, if this happens in my life, it's not, that's not the way that it works. Faith is whenever you believe. The last week I was laying in my bed in the middle of the night and God spoke something to me so powerful and I was praying and I was like, God, I just don't sense you right now. There was a, a, a fear and anxiety that tried to settle on me in the middle of the night and I said, God, I just don't sense you right now. And he said, and this is when you'll have the greatest faith is when you don't sense me, but you know that my presence is just as real. And in your life, that's what God wants to He wants to get us to a place where we don't need the feelers to be the doers. We know that he's there. We know that he's the same God. Man, I can't tell you in three and a half years, the, the, the stuff that my wife and I have walked through, it's not because of our church being any specific thing or not being something. It's the fact that when you walk into darkness and you start claiming light, you had better be ready to strap up. And you better go hard in the paint because it's coming after you. I'm saying, it's coming after you. And when God says take the land, you'd better take it. You better start doing something proactive that looks a little different. But you know, we do what the Israelites did. When God, we don't feel like God's doing it our way, we say, well, we'll take care of it. And in Numbers chapter 11, or excuse me, chapters 14, verse 39, this is what it says. So when Moses, he reported the Lord's words to the Israelites, basically saying, y'all, you're not going. The people were filled with grief. So they got up early the next morning and went to the top of the range of hills. Let's go, they said. We realize that we've sinned, but now we're ready to enter the land the Lord's promised us. Of course you are. Now you're ready. It's delayed obedience. You didn't listen to what God had said to you. You spent 40 days cooking your meals and having your parties and hitting the beach ball and making your barbecue when God had given you a land. 40 days to build fear. 40 days to build doubt. 40 days to think of every thought that's not God. And in verse 41, Moses said, why are you disobeying the Lord's orders to return to the wilderness? It won't work. Don't go up into the land now. You'll only be crushed by your enemies because the Lord's not with you. And when you face the Amalekites and the Canaanites in battle, you'll be slaughtered. The Lord will abandon you because you've abandoned the Lord. Verse 44, but the people defiantly pushed ahead towards the hill country. And even, and even though, listen to this, neither Moses nor the Ark of the Lord's covenant left the camp. You know what that's saying? saying that they were wanting to go now without the presence of God. So now they're saying, you gave us something, we didn't take it, we're not really happy about your, the scenario, now you're gonna, you're gonna discipline us? I don't think you know who you're messing with. We're going up with or without you. So they say, we're gonna do it without the Lord's presence. Well, that's what got them in that position to begin with. And it says, then the Amalekites and Canaanites who lived in those hills came down and attacked them and chased them back as far 
is hormone. You're saying, what is this trying to communicate to us? It's very simple, that God's plans can't be taken into human hands. You can't do what God's calling you to do. You can't finagle it. You can't Play-Doh it. You can't build it out of nothing. You can't make God's plans take place in your life. The only thing you can do is submit to God's will. And so God gave them time served. They had been wandering for two years. So he gave them 40 years. He said, I'll give you a 38 left. He said, but what I'm going to do is that all of the grandparents and parents that have prayed for their children to be the ones to come into the promised land, I'm going to give them that. But the grandparents and the parents, y'all are going to die off because y'all are the ones who are divisive and you're wicked. But your kids, I'm going to give them a fair shot. And so for 38 years, they wandered. Everyone died off. And then they ended up crossing the Jordan River during flood stage. Now, flood stage is about 100 feet wide, 10 to 12 feet deep, and the Israelites cross the Jordan River, and they come back to the other side, and they actually end up in the face of the promised land, right at the mouth of this massive city called Jericho. Now, it's a whole new generation. The parents are gone. The grandparents are gone. Moses is gone. Now, Joshua is leading, and you know who else is there? Is our boy Caleb, who said, we can take this land. And so they're there, they're saying, listen, God has given us something, and I'll tell you what he hasn't given us is a spirit of fear. He's given us a spirit of power, he's given us love, and he's given us a sound mind and a sword, and I'm going to do what I have to do to take that land, because he's already given to us, and it's 40 years old. He gave this thing to us 38 years ago, and we didn't obey, and I'm not going to let that happen again. I'm going to take the land, because it's going to require something to me to get where God's taken my life. It's going to require something of us. I mean, can you even be inspired? This is rhetorical. Can you be inspired? When's the last time you were on your knees and you actually wept without any worship or Pastor Fred or this church, just you and God in his presence? This isn't a spiritual barometer question. I'm just asking a question. I'm not saying you wept because you felt bad or because you were angry or because something bad happened. I'm saying, when's the last time you just sat in the sweet presence of a mighty king and said, oh, Jesus, I won't go anywhere without this? That's what was missing. It was that intimacy. It was that longing. It was that actual understanding of who God was. So Joshua comes into the land in Joshua chapter six, verse one. It's a whole new regime. And it says, now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. You know why they were afraid? Because there's millions of people that just crossed the Jordan River at flood stage. And they know that thing had to be parted, just like the Red Sea was parted. And so all the kings, the Bible tells us, were terrified of the Israelites because they're thinking, "Uh uh-oh. These jokers have been 38 years wandering and they were the joke. But now we know that their God has done it again. And he's out. He's out to take us out, and we have got to be vigilant, keep these doors shut, keep them locked, don't let anybody in. Said no one was allowed to go out or in, but the Lord said to Joshua, I've given you Jericho, its king, and all its strong warriors. So now, we know that God has spoken the same thing over your life, that he's given you the promised land, and he's given you the ability to take the promised land. He's given you all the things you need. He is training you. You might be in a season right now where you're learning how to fight the way God's designing you to fight, learning the type of warrior that you're supposed to be, but at some point, you've got to actually put steps into that promised land. It says in verse 3, You and your fighting men should march around the city, or around the town, excuse me, once a day for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day, you're to march around the town seven times with the priests blowing the horns. And when you hear the priests give the long blast on the ram's horns, have all the people shout as loud as they can. And then the walls of the town will collapse and the people will charge straight into the town. Oh, this sounds so spiritual, doesn't it? This is probably the worst military strategy you'll ever read about in the Bible. 
This is an awful idea. This is awful. <laughs> Hold up. 38, 38 years you have me marching in the desert for this. Okay, God, I know you gave us promised land. You're trying to get us killed. You're going to have me march around with a bunch of pastors blowing horns. This is your idea of a good time. This is what's going to take us to the promised land. You have lost your mind. Dear Jesus. These people are going to think we've done lost it. Me and a bunch of pastors out here marching around blowing horns like we own this place. You got to be kidding me. When God calls you to do something that the world will know only he did, it's not going to make sense. It can't. If it's not so big that when people see it, they think you've lost your mind, then that means you can accomplish it without him. That means there's a way for them to possibly see it without him. I love in verse eight what it says. It says that after Joshua spoke to the people, the seven priests with the ram's horn started marching in the presence of the Lord, blowing the horns as they marched and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed behind them. He said, man, it's fine. Your presence is here. Let's do it. Take that ark. Let's start marching, baby. Let's, let's start marching. You know, maybe in your life, you just need to start marching. Maybe there's some Jerichos that God's saying, I need you to start marching around these things. I need you to actually start claiming some territory and believing that I'm going to do it. My wife and I moved to Virginia Beach in 2014, and in 2015, we bought a house. Now, this house, when we rolled up to it, our realtor looked at me, and he says, dude, are you serious? You're considering this house? Yep. He went in, and the house was as great as what we wanted. Thing was, it was right across from the largest and one of the most violent housing projects in all of Virginia Beach. And there's one way in, and there's one way out, and it's called Hope Avenue. And you go into this housing project, and on your left, there's 400 apartments, thousands of people, and on your right, there's seven homes. And we were three or four in. And I walked in the door, and the Lord spoke to me. He said, Brandon, I want you to bring light to the darkness. Thinking, that's great. I've got three children. Pick somebody else. My wife, we were leaving that day, and as we were pulling out, she heard the voice of the Lord, and he said, Brandon, God just told me we're supposed to bring light to the darkness. As she's weeping saying, this is not what I had in mind, but I'm going to do what God's called us to do. So we moved in, and it was everything everybody thought, said that it would be, and months after we moved in, I was sitting in the, my back room on a Saturday night, and I heard a whole clip empty from a gun, and immediately I knew that it was close, and that somebody was probably dead, and so I walked out to the front door, and ambulances, and fire trucks, and cop cars, and people were running, screaming, and about 150 yards from my front door, someone was just executed in this parking lot. So I went and talked to some of the neighbors, and I went back over, and the next morning I woke up, and you could just sense the presence of evil that night in our home. You could sense it in the community. And I get in the shower, and I'm just weeping, and I'm thinking, God, you've got to help me pull this together because i got to preach. Like, it's Sunday morning. I said, I can't go. I, I can't pull myself together. What's wrong with me? And he said, I wanted you to sense a little bit of what my heart feels like. There's a couple months after that, In the middle of the night, a guy woke me up. He said, hey, you need to get up. You need to go march around this house. Hmm? <laughs> nah. You've lost your mind. A white dude in some night pants running around his house in the middle of the night. You have lost your mind, bro. <laughs> He's trying to get me killed, man. 
And in God fashion, you just didn't say anything else. So I got up. It's all right. Went out the front door and just started walking. Looking around, maybe started walking a little faster. Somebody's going to see me. And God said, you start praying over this property. And you start praying. This is your Jericho. You pray over this place. He's like, I'm going to bring the walls down this community. You pray over this place. And so I start walking. I'm like, Lord, I just pray right now that your presence would fill this yard and fill this home. I pray that anybody that drives by this property would begin to sense the presence of a mighty God. Lord, I pray that the, the loss would be found, that the hurt would be healed, that the brokenness would become restored. I pray for the generations that are in this, this community right now, that you would help us to reach them. Father, I pray that you would cover my kids with an anointing. God, I pray that you would do something in me that the world would know about, not because of me, but because of your power, and you would use this property and this home. You would help my wife and I to be a husband and wife and a family in a place where we can provide solidarity and peace that passes understanding round one and I'm going second time I'm like oh God I pray in Jesus name for your anointing to flow from the front of my house to that street round two and I'm praying in my prayer language and I'm in a good jog now and I'm like oh Jesus oh Jesus I pray that you would just do something supernatural God that this address in this city will become known for the move of God in a way that it's never seen it before round four and I just kept going and kept going kept going round five and I'm praying and I'm praising God in the middle of the night, walking around my house in the middle of the projects. Keep going round six. Oh God, I need you to move in a way that man can't deny that you're real. Round seven, and I'm praying and praying and praying and worshiping in the middle of the night in my bed pants. And I get to my front door and I feel like, he was like, have a good night. <laughs> After all that, that's it. No well done, nothing. So last year, fast forward two years, I came home from an event in May, and the Lord spoke to me and said, hey, man, I want you to put your house on the market. Already Jericho marched this thing. I ain't moving. <laughs> so put your house on the market. It's all right. My wife and I felt our heart transition. Like it was time to go. It was an unsettling. We weren't happy there. We weren't happy in the community. We weren't happy with being there. We just felt like, okay, it's time to go. Our church buses, we have a bus route that we run into that community. We used to have a bus that fits 17, and we had to sell it and get a bus that fits 60. Like, we bus those kids in every week. We believe in it. And my wife and I's heart started to change. Three months last summer, the longest months of our life, we had over 35 showings and not one offer on our house. My wife was in and out of that house cleaning that thing. I've, I mowed that grass so many times, I thought for sure that it was nothing left. September comes around, and the Lord spoke to my wife and I, and he says, you can go or you can stay, and I'll bless you either way. I'm thinking, this is not a biblical approach, I don't believe. He's like, no, 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 I'll bless you either way. The blessings will look different, but I want you to know these aren't your mission. They're your neighbor's. And until you can see that, you won't be able to be used here in a way that I've got you to be used. My wife said, Brandon, we're staying. I said, you better believe we're staying. The next day, I pulled our house off the market. Excuse me, two days later, my realtor calls. Hey, man, I got somebody who wants to see the house. I said, no, nah, man, we're not interested. 10 minutes later, he called it. Hey, man, they've already seen the house. They were ones that looked this summer. They're actually ready to put 
an offer on it. I said, no, man, I'm not interested. He calls back, hey, man, they're real pushy. They're actually putting a full price offer on the house tonight. I said, hey, man, you tell them to save their time because we're not taking any offers. The day, two days after we decided to pull this thing off the market, 35 showings. And what's the Jericho in your life God's telling you to march? You know, because my neighbor, he's a pillar in that community. His father was a pillar in that community and just passed away last year, I believe. And my neighbor came up to me and said, you know, when you guys were looking to move last summer, do you know how many people in this community were concerned? He said, you know what they were saying? They said to me, would you please talk him into staying? And he said, well, man, he's a grown man with four kids. I can't tell him what to do. He said, we're just afraid it's gonna turn back into the wild, wild west when they leave. I thought, how in the world did I have that? My family have that, my wife and my children. How do we have any kind of impact to keep it from being that? Then I realized it wasn't me. It was the march. It was the willingness to step out and to say, God, I can't do this on my own. I need your strength. And he covered that place and he begins to cover all of that complex with his presence and his spirit and his anointing. I was at a community meeting a couple months ago and the, the officer came up to give the report on all of the crime and he said, you know, it's actually great. We've had one issue in the last month and that wasn't even the complex. Mark God's territory. You're not fighting for you. He's placing you to take territory for him. You have a responsibility to walk into the land that he's already promised you. I love what happens at the end of this. The bank could go ahead and come back in Joshua chapter six, verse 15. It says, on the seventh day, the Israelites got up at dawn and marched around the town as they had done before. But this time they went around the town seven times. Imagine millions of people, your grandma and your uncle and your cousin and all your kids, you're marching around. Come on, come on, Caden, Rylan, Makat. Excuse me, Joshua, Makat. He can't go over there, man. We ain't done marching yet. I mean, can you imagine the chaos? Millions of people marching in circles. You know, I mean, can you imagine? This has got to be some kind of show. So, but this time they went around seven times, and the seventh time around, the priest sounded a long blast on their horns, and Joshua commanded the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the town. And when the people heard the sound of the ram's horns, they shouted as loud as they could, and suddenly the walls of Jericho collapsed, and the Israelites charged straight into the town and captured it. Can somebody stand this evening and give God a shout of praise over your situation? Come on, get on your feet for a minute. I want you to shout down the walls in your life that you know that God is calling you. Come on. Don't stop. You give him a shout of praise and you let him know, I will not be moved. I'm going to take the land. Let him know right now, I'm going to take the land. I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to stop. I'm going to take the land. You see, because this is the reason why. Because in our life, we want to run away from the very things God's calling us to. Don't run away from what God's calling you to run to. Don't run away from the things he's asking you to be focused on and to tone, to, to, to tie yourself into. You say, well, Brandon, what do we, what do we do? What do, how do I do this? I'm going to make this very applicable for you. Say, how do I do this, Brandon? How do we get there? You put down your weapons and you wait for instruction. pretty good on the piano man you pretty good are you pretty good 
All right, man, can everybody stop for a minute? I want to show you all something. I want to help you understand something. If you were standing in front of God, and me and you were in heaven, man, and the Lord says, man, just play something in my presence. Play something in my presence. And I want you all to sit, and God is here. Would you do that? Play something right now, man. Just play something in the presence of God. Something that you just want to worship him with. Stop, stop, stop. See the difference? The Bible tells us that he inhabits the praises of his people. This isn't a manipulation or a spiritual trick. There's something powerful in, go ahead. See if you can sense the presence of God sitting in this room. Sense the presence of a mighty God right now all across this room. There's a whole book written about this called Psalms. You're sitting in the presence of mighty God. Jesus. So what do we do? We sit put our weapons down in all of our plans and we wait in the presence of a mighty God. You can't do it. You're not created to do this. You're created to be obedient and be the footsteps into the promised land that he'll create. He's given us his presence. All across this room this evening, would you just lift your hands if you're comfortable with it? as a way to say, God, I surrender. Would you do that for a minute in his presence? You just lift them. Just your way of saying, God, I surrender. And if you don't know him as your king right now, I want you just to say, dear Jesus, I surrender my life and all that I am to you. I give you my heart and I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for me, but he lives today. Jesus if you said that prayer, please let somebody know. Let one of your pastors know. But for the rest of you, I want you to keep your hands lifted. As we're standing here in the presence of a mighty God. And we're going to sing a song. I'm going to give you time to respond. But I want to pray over you because I believe this evening that some of you, this is your Jericho moment. Where God has already called you. He's shown you a promise. And maybe you didn't take it. For others right now, you're just starting to download. You're starting to get it in your mind that God has actually got something. And he's already finished what you've asked him to start. But he needs you to be the one to walk in faith. It may divide the bone from the marrow. It may divide the family from the friends. It may divide you in your life, but it's something God's gonna do in your life that many don't have to understand. You just have to walk in obedience. And we're gonna respond with a, a worship in a minute, but I want you right now, just begin to ask God, give me, begin to ask him to help you to, to be that man or woman of God that he's calling you to be. Father, we pray right now over each situation. I pray over each wall that you've called us to march around and each land you've called us to walk into. And I pray in Jesus' name that 
right now the spirit of fear would be bound up and pushed away, but we would be propelled by the mighty move of a mighty God, knowing that you've called us, you've appointed us, you've directed us, and you've governed us and given us things that are measurably more than we can ask or imagine, immeasurably more than we deserve, immeasurably more than we can ever think, and we surrender right now in the name of Jesus. We surrender our calling, we surrender our heart, we surrender our own plans. We give you all that we have. We give you all that we are. Can we celebrate this? Let's, let's worship him. Let's worship him. Come on, like.